thank you for tuning into my podcast, The Haunted Homo. My name is Tyler. We're going to be talking about some themes in horror literature, film, and television. I will warn you that as you go into this episode, there were some technical difficulties with the recording. I apologize. I'm still very fresh at this, and hopefully things will get better in the next coming episodes. So thank you for bearing with me. Today... I have a special guest, if you'd like to introduce yourself. Uh, yeah, hi, uh, my name is Bo, um, and I'm from the UK, I live in Iceland, and I am obsessed with horror films. And today we're going to be talking about witches in a few movies and maybe some television if we can get to it. So Hereditary, what were your thoughts when you watched that movie because I, I i definitely had thoughts and feelings watching the movie i'm kind of curious what, to know what you felt or what you got out of it i mean i like it was one of those films that when it finished i just kind of had to sit there for at least five minutes in the darkness and just be like oh shit what have i just watched like it took a long time to process and even throughout the film i was just sort of like it changes, or it doesn't change, but like, I don't know, how spoilery, can we give spoilers away? Sure, yeah, yeah, I mean, okay, yeah. So like, with Charlie dying in the first, like, I think 25 minutes of the film, I was just like, okay, this film is nothing like what I was preparing myself for, like, it's completely changed. Um, and so I just think like, I don't know, I think it was definitely a very refreshing horror film, like, it's very different to most of what is coming out at the moment um and yeah i just thought it was very refreshing and very i don't even know the word like yeah <laughs> um i feel like hereditary was much more i mean so I say this fully recognizing this is what all film and especially horror is, but Hereditary is much more visual than it was plot. Maybe I'm really splitting a hair there, but I, it was more about like views and um, close-ups or pan-outs and yeah, the, the experience of Charlie's um, death was was a lot and then we just sit there for like three or four minutes with um, I don't know Peter just in the car and he's just kind of like just there and I feel like that was a long a long scene which I don't know it I really didn't see that happening I guess I get it. I think I saw the previews and they show you the um, electrical pole as they're on their way into town. And or maybe because I, I kept wondering why they were going home, why he didn't just like Google the nearest. I get it. It's a horror movie. If they did that, there wouldn't be the rest of the movie or something. But also it's like, you're not very bright. You should have just drove to the ER or something. Or like, 
No, I definitely think, like, the whole... It's just the use of Charlie's death was a great sort of just film mechanic. Like, it set up a massive opportunity for a complete tonal shift in the film. Like, the whole first half of... Like, the whole film is about grief, basically, and how you are supposed to grieve death and family members and that kind of thing. But I think Charlie's death does change the whole film because in the first half you have Annie dealing with, I think her name is Ellen, maybe? Ellen's death? Her mum. Yeah. And then it's like, I think she even says, she asks her husband at one point, like, how am I supposed to, I feel like I'm not crying enough, I feel like I'm not sad enough. And it's that whole, you have this weird ambivalent relationship where it's like, should she be more sad? Should she feel stronger about her mother dying? But then I feel like when Charlie dies, it's just this intense, horrible, animalistic grief that, I mean, you hear when she finds her body in the car and the scream just, like, echoes throughout the whole scene. And it feels right. like it lasts for a whole minute. And it's, like, it just sets up a massive, massive shift, I think, in the tone of the film. It's... I feel like it's also really interesting because how... How we're, we're shown how... Um, Annie, I think is the mom's name, how... How she even related to her mother and her daughter. They were both... They're both very different than her. And they had this other relationship. And her relationship with them was very... Uh, just outsidery. So it kind of makes sense, you know, that her dealing with her mother's grief would be so pragmatic. Should I be more upset, even though... We didn't have that great of a relationship ever to... Oof, all right. Maybe I'm not dealing or talking about her daughter's death in the best way because it is like a parent-child relationship death issue. But they didn't have a very good relationship either. It was very strange. It was very strained. And Annie, like, like you said, just anim animalistically breaks down for the next 10 minutes of the film over a great span of the time. And the dad doesn't even seem to have, we're not, he doesn't matter, but we're not shown him. So he doesn't seem to have that big of an issue with it. Um, Peter definitely has some issues because he is dealing with some guilt, but I don't know. It, I feel like, a lot of these horror films, especially with like a film like this, and because it is about spoiler, which is sort of, it's about women dealing with like their family um, hardships, grief, um, uh, family history slash family sins. I don't really like saying that, but that's kind of like kind of gets brought to the forefront. It would not have been a, the same movie if it was, like, the dad's family or just a man in general, because obviously we haven't evolved to that gender place yet. But I 
don't know. We it's kind of this thing that I've read in a lot of books that basically women have to deal with. They carry the the brunt of all grief, all suffering of the entire world, and then are sort of expected to then perform it in a specific way. And I feel like Annie's really like, what do I do here? How how am I supposed to perform and feel this? And she gets kind of sideswiped by grandma's crazy friend. Or I don't know if that really flows correctly. Um grandma dies in the end, they have a funeral. Spooky shit, sort of. Anything else that you could kind of... Am I missing anything, like, there in the first 40 minutes? Um, Before? I mean, there's loads of... I mean, like, if you're talking about, like, the narrative, there's loads of foreshadowing, I think. Obviously, you have, like, this, the whole, the symbol of, yeah, so, obviously, you have, like, the, there's loads of narrative foreshadowing in the beginning when you have, like, the symbol of Paimon, which is used on the necklace of the grandmother, and then on the, um, like, telegraph pole thing and everything, um, and I feel like there's, also, in there's a scene in the classroom where, like, you have with like every high school scene where they're discussing something from literature in like ancient Greece or something, and then it's obviously trying to say something about the film you're watching itself. And I think they're discussing some ancient Greek text, and it's about um, how the protagonist has no control over the situation that he's in and how it is almost more tragic because of that lack of control where you just have to watch the story unfold around him and I feel like that I where was I going with that point <laughs> no it's like um, there's so many things to discuss that it's like how do you like make it all flow properly <laughs> I remember the classroom scene, but now I'm like, what did they talk about? I can't remember what it was, but it was definitely about how tragic it is watching someone, someone's life unfold around them with no control, basically. Oh, this is cool. Was it Antigone? Mm, and probably. It sounds like something they definitely talk about. So yeah, this I just found an article that was like, looking at Hereditary as a Sophocan tragedy, which... Um, because that's the scene where he looks, a bird hits the window or something, right? Yeah, that, those, those two scenes happen together. There's the bird hitting the window with Charlie in the classroom, and then it skips to Peter in the classroom, and that's when they're talking about the whole tragedy of this protagonist's life. Okay. So, um, speaking of foreshadowing and, like, I feel like there were a few moments where they were sort of like, this is this is still a a, scare, a horror movie, a scary movie, so we should kind of like nod at that. This I feel like this happened pretty early. I think Charlie's still alive at the point when this happens. She's it's Annie's in the studio 
with her um, dioramas, and she's turned off the light, and in a corner, she sees shadowy her mother just kind of standing there, and it's such a, like, small, like, totally insignificant thing, but I thought that was a really a fantastic way to have or kind of interpret a ghostly experience where you just sort of it's a mind trick kind of how it felt when I was watching it it was like wait a sec yeah and that's one of the things that I like about this film is that it's like it does constantly make you question like is this a haunted house film or is this like a film that's reminiscent of like the Babadook where it's just about mental illness and grief or is it more sort of like culty basically and you are questioning that all the way through um and I think as well that's one of the to me at least that's why because everyone was like oh the husband basically you couldn't have been there or shouldn't have been there like it hadn't he had no real plot device behind his character but I think his the whole plot device behind his character was that he was the most far removed from Ellen. And then obviously you have uh, Peter being responsible for Charlie's death. So like you have Annie and Peter both experiencing these like supernatural things going on in the house and they have a direct response reason to see these things because they are dealing with grief and everything. And it's sort of like, it could still, you could still be questioning at that point whether or not they are being haunted by the people that they love or loved or whatever, or if it is more mental illness. But I think if you had the father more involved in that, you can no longer have that level of ambiguity because you then have a third character that is responsible for seeing something or hearing something or being involved in the supernatural and i feel like up until like if you i feel like uh, annie annie's character really has the whole like unreliable narrator sort of vibe going on where oh, yeah, right. you don't know if what she's seeing is actually what she's seeing um and i feel like that is the whole device of the husband is that if he were in more involved in the story it would be much more obvious that it is a cult film or like a mental illness type film because he would then be able to perceive or not perceive what she is experiencing if that makes sense yeah it does but then it really reminds me of the scenes when he is involved do happen like after grandma's friend shows Annie how to communicate with this, supposedly the spirit of her um, grandson shows her that and then says oh you can do the same thing too um, and then there's a really spooky nightmare that Peter has that morphs into Annie being like hey come downstairs sorry for spooking you in your dream but I'm gonna spook you now um and then drags her husband downstairs and it's I feel like if her husband is the less um, connected by his lack of connection the reliable narrator of it all sort of from reality's viewpoint him like 
getting close to the line of unreality really changes a lot of things, I guess, because he just totally shuts down. Peter is so traumatized at this point by having Annie as his mother, I guess, just and everything that goes into that being connected to Charlie's death. And this is the absolute breaking point. So I think this, it's pretty much just a downhill thing for Peter at school and everywhere. Because even when Annie becomes possessed in that scene, uh, I don't know what the dad's name is. Steve, I think, or something. Um, yeah, Steve. He's still like, I don't quite remember how he reacted. He's just very shut it down, stop screwing around. This is. Yeah, the diary just almost like the voice of reality or the voice of reason. It's like, you're being ridiculous. This is all. You're making this up in your head, basically, and just stop it now. So then they have the seance scene. Trying to remember this as Peter's school possession experience kind of happens at the same time that Annie goes up to the attic, right? Yeah, I think that's the very last thing that happens outside of the house. And then the last, obviously, 25 minutes is filmed all within the house after that, basically. Right. Well, she go, does she go upstairs or she finds, like, photo albums? tries to go to Joan's apartment and Joan isn't there which then goes into Peter's scene at school oh yeah which, when she's in the she's across the road like waving or screaming at him right and no one hears it of, of course I there are moments when I like that kind of um I don't know I don't really know many British witch movies like, I know there's a couple, but I very honestly haven't seen them. But I feel like there's this trope of American witches that, like, hails back to this Salem, New England-y type of witch. Like, the Crucible, they're, they're spitting into drinks, like in American Horror Story, which was the greatest scene, one of the greatest scenes, um, in that makes them do things and I don't know that there's this this certain kind of thing that witches do that are very like it's like a tradition that's a part of American pop culture and I felt like that scene how she kind of did that whole it was just her and him she's screaming like through the wind and traffic I think there was traffic or something it was really kind of weird because he's I thought his, his reaction was pretty interesting because he didn't really quite believe it was happening but it was also like he's totally enthralled by it and then it's been a few months since I've seen this movie unfortunately um, I feel like there was something there that I missed that I remember it in the theater but it I would love to go back and watch it. I think he goes back into the school and then he's in a hallway and you start to see the light thing goes to a door. Isn't there someone in the window of the door in that scene? I don't know, this is hardcore aside. Yeah, I know. It was 
<laughs> three seconds of the movie. <laughs> uh, the, what did you think of how they portrayed the witches in this movie? I I liked the fact that it did keep you guessing right up until the very end. Um, and I feel like... I don't know. Like, the portrayal of the witches, I felt, in this was... Maybe would unfair be the word? It felt very... I don't How do I say this? It felt like... I really can't think of the word. Um... I think unfair is right. If if you're think if you're talking about what I think you're talking about, I don't mm. know. So what do you mean by unfair? Like sort of like it was like demonizing them basically, which it, I guess is what the whole film is anyway. But like it was very like it, almost with the whole like Rosemary's Baby, Satanic Panic, like, 1960s horror films. It felt along the same vein, which I was surprised at for a film that came out now. But, yeah. just kind of felt like it was, like, victimising the family, like, at the hands of this, like, evil witch cult type thing. Yeah, that's, that's kind of what I think I was trying to say with, like, it's this American idea that from Salem, these witches are out in the woods, naked, signing their souls over to Satan for power and stuff like that. Kind of, um, uh, there's a, a Rob Zombie movie called Lords of Salem, and it's even more visual than this film. It's basically just all visual cues and things like that. And it's basically that uh, a few of the witches are still in Salem and they are the devil worshipping I don't know how I feel about cursing on this podcast quite yet but uh, so they're the bad ladies that we're always, at least Americans are always taught that they you know, are going to eat your babies and they dance with the devil naked and hoodwinks, things like that um, it's all true and they sacrifice like the descendant of one of the judges and she gives birth to a tentacle face baby. I it's a lot in that film, but this kind of felt in the same way. It's like, oh, so witches are still devil worshippers, and, and they just want to get um, hell power. Yeah, like just it. Yeah, like it made me. I don't know. I did roll my eyes a little bit when it just kind of was revealed at the end, and I was like, okay, so it's just like a satanic witch cult, like this kind of story has been done a million times before but I kind of forgave it because it felt like it was done good it was done well um but you know they, they could like maybe there's time for like a nice and newer perspective of witches I feel like witches can still be scary but not <laughs> right not having to raise hell on earth and not require to seek an external for their power I guess. um they're basically just be witches and not servants of somebody else which is usually how it flows but that kind of goes into the last thing that was sort of frustrating i thought at the end when um 
so the whole point, sort of, of the the witch plot of the film was Charlie and how she was born incorrectly was kind of the thing that basically Charlie should have been Peter because the um, the demon prince Payman that they wanted to resurrect couldn't have a woman's body fix that that was really kind of like a oh that's gross sort of element of it because then at the end um with the the tongue popping or tongue clicking uh how peter is haunted by his sister's tongue clicking and he jumps out of the attic although i feel like him jumping out of the attic maybe he fell into a bush i feel like he couldn't have died so i don't know if he like passed out for a second and casually demon payment popped in yeah i think he was just knocked out seems really easy but um i don't know then they go up he goes and follows his mother's floating headless corpse up into the treehouse and the party is there and Joan explains, oh, we fixed it now. We're here um, for you to give us our power since we got here. It was like, that's that's weird. I didn't. There's one part I really didn't like about the movie that. That again, this trope that witches work for S- Satan and they're not super happy about being women. They need masculine power sort of thing. It. It was a cool film, but I felt like it was really weird that it came out in 2018. Like amongst the whole witches are, witches are here, they're everywhere, they're proud, and kind of the like renewed feminism talks or renewed like feminism pushes in society, and then. To kind of have the same old trope with witches was sort of like, ah. I know it bombed the, the end of the movie for me, at least. Like, I liked some of the stuff, the kind of spooky, shadowy people and corners. I thought that was like a really cool way of showing things, but I feel like I wanted a feministy power witch movie, and it's just kind of the same old. At least just the the plot, not the deeper theme of grief, was very same old, same old. Yeah, I do get that. And I wonder how intentional that was, like if it was supposed to be... I don't know, because I don't know much about demonology, but I like I read up on Paymon afterwards, and I remember the one specific thing about him was that he was at least gender ambiguous in all of his like mythology surrounding him and well using him for someone's gender ambiguous then i guess is incorrect but it did say that like his physical form was neither male nor female and i did sort of wonder why did they it felt very pointed in the film towards peter having to be the correct form because he was male and i sort of wondered why they chose that specific ending considering the history behind payment I didn't, I just saw like an article just now about it or about Paymon, but I've personally not read it. I don't know, I feel like it was, 
in in that element, I feel like they didn't really put as much thought into evolving an old storyline that they could have possibly, like considering current climates, they could have done something differently. Other thoughts that you had that maybe we didn't get. I know there was like the nightmare scenes where his mother is constantly trying to kill, trying to kill him. There's nothing. I don't know. Like when I was watching it again, I was like going over how. I mean, it's obviously a great film. Like, I think it's an amazing example of horror that's been done recently. Um, but I feel like it's a hard film beyond the whole grief theme. It's a hard, hard film to really explore that much deeper because I feel like grief is obviously the overriding theme, and I feel like anything else you want to like. On you're kind of just clutching at very tenuous links in a way. Um, so, I don't know. Grief definitely was, I think, what we were supposed to walk away with it. Walk away from the film with, was it performing grief or was it, like, processing grief that was the main issue? Because with with Annie's mother, it was sort of like, this has been really, this has been a straining relationship my entire um, life, and it's done now. But I mean, maybe it was the fact that her mother was such a a black hole in her life that even after death, it was that was what they were touching on that toxic relationships, even after they physically ended, don't end. Or maybe. It's, goes back to maybe possibly mental health sort of things and the lack of closure or proper processing and um, rehabilitation of trauma. Because there's a one point at the first um, grief group where she basically says everyone in her family had died pretty horribly. So it sounds like a, a lot of trauma and grief that was never quite um, unpacked. I think you could definitely sort of like extrapolate some things around control there as well, because I mean, it would depend how feminist you want to get into it. I have to read more about it, but there's definitely he touches upon the idea of like controlling of emotions. Um, and I think you have. Ellen, who is this like matriarch who still, even after she dies, is in complete control of the house itself and Annie's grief and everything. And um, I mean, think there's even a bit when she's Annie's setting up her like dollhouse type thing, and there's the there's Ellen in the doorway just watching over her sleeping. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> and I feel like there's definitely more that could be said there about control. Um, well, I mean, even that, she's setting, her art is dioramas and dollhouses. That's all about, con- I feel like that's kind of a, we're going to display control via a physical object by making sure everything is perfect, at least subjectively perfect as in it's accurate, which is a lot about controlling things. Although she seem to have like that vibe in real life in the house per se 
I wonder if like the fact that she's a diorama artist was supposed to highlight on that kind of frustration over the lack of control of certain things and maybe at least her grief or how her relationship with her mother actually worked. So this concludes uh, our discussion of the recent film Hereditary. Um, you should go see it and see if you agree with us and maybe get back with us. Uh, thank you for listening to The Haunted Homo.